Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. Going through the IRR's website, and the IRR stands for Property Rights for All, the Rule of Law, Real Economic Empowerment, uh, Tax Justice, Free Thought and Speech, uh, Accountable Policy, Choice-Driven Healthcare Policy and Education, uh, Reconciliation and Social Justice, and a most importantly, a small and effective government. So, all sounds. So, how did the how did the RR view the year, and what do they see foresee in 2022? Well, to fill us in. Uh, John Andrews, who's the CEO elect of the IRR, has just joined us on the, on the line and will be taking us through what, what he sees and what he feels is coming up in 2022. Uh, good day, John. I trust you are well. Hello, Rob. I am well and I hope you are too. Oh, absolutely fantastic. Had a, a good short but decent break, well rested and ready to jump into the new year. I, mm. I hope you are too. Mm. <laughs> oh, John, it's been absolutely an incredible, incredible year for for civil society, both both in both good, positive, and in in the negative sense as well. Um, but first of all, let, let's tell us a bit more about about yourself as the uh, CEO elect of of the IRR. Well, I think the, the the first important development of 2022 is that I've shortened my title to CEO. Uh, so in other words, I was CEO-elect until the 31st of December, um, but since the 1st of January, I have taken over from Franz Cronier, my predecessor. Lovely, lovely. Oh, that's that's great. And those are big shoes to fill, and no doubt um, you have the big feet to fill those shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so, Rob. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But before we get into the, the meat of what happened in 2021 and what's coming up in 2022. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson, because democracy doesn't just happen. And welcome back to 101.9 High FM. I'm chatting to uh, John Andreas, who is the CEO of the IRR. Hi, Dink, John. Tell us about about what you thought were the highs and lows of, of 2021. Well, I think there were several really important developments last year. And the first one was the, the July insurrection, which um, you know I think really uh, made it very clear to what extent the state has receded in its ability to maintain law and order throughout the country, something we've been seeing for many years already in terms of high murder rates, high crime rates, and a lack of accountability in the political sphere. But really the burning buildings, the looting, um, the people killed in July brought it home with a lot of force. The second very important development last year were the local government elections, um, where we saw the ANC drop below 50% for the very first time. That, I think, marks a watershed in the history of South Africa because it opens the possibility of the ANC dropping below 50 again in 2024, which is a uh, a possibility that for many years was considered really implausible, even though uh, Franz Cronier and colleagues at the IRR have been mooting it since 2012 for about this time period. But uh, by now we've reached the stage where even the ANC itself concedes that this is possible um, and it is a realistic prospect. And um, I think the third really important development that I would like to highlight perhaps is the um, vote in Parliament on the 
18th Constitutional Amendment Bill, which was the vote to decide whether to change the Constitution to enable expropriation without compensation. And that uh, a bill was uh, defeated, it was uh, did not go through, uh, and so the Constitution continues to stand as is for the time being. Robert. For the time being, I think that that is the is the key key point there. Do you do you think that bill will will resurface? I, I have my my suspicions that it, that it definitely will. I think it's maybe too far away from from the elections um, for them to kick it up again. But as we approach the 2024 elections, I suspect that we we will see a resurgence of of that whole idea. Well, I think what we might see happening is that the focus will shift to the expropriation bill. Uh, which is an ordinary piece of legislation uh, that aims to replace an apartheid-era law, the expropriation law, and which in itself also uh, includes some provisions for expropriation without compensation. And, you know, these two processes were running in in parallel, and they were both very convoluted, uh, took a long time. You know, the civil society was really very involved in the public participation processes, and I know this is true of DRSA, the IRR as well was quite present in that. And uh, I think that maybe the focus has uh, become a bit lost on the expropriation bill, which now, I think, represents the more immediate threat to South African property rights. So that is something we are certainly going to take a very close look at this year, because I think that's going to, to rear its head pretty soon. I couldn't agree more. I definitely think that, that we do. And, it, and I'm grateful for, for organizations like the IRR who've been extremely vocal about property rights, which are without a doubt the, the topmost right that, that is granted to, to us all. Without property rights, we really have nothing. We can't even install uh, freedom of speech or, or anything else. So, yeah, it is going to be an exciting time ahead in, in 2022. And, Let's let's hope we all stay on board and the public doesn't forget about this and it's up to organizations such as yourselves to keep us in in that loop. And you know, on on that, it's it's good to see the the final um outcome of the Zondo Commission being being brought forward here. Even even though we taxpayer footed the bill for what was it, around a billion Rand to to see the end of this. What are your thoughts on this? Well, it has been a really long exercise and a very expensive exercise as well. But I do wonder to what extent there are any new revelations in it. Um, I think most of the information contained in the report, which I haven't read, by the way, uh, has been in the public domain, thanks to investigative journalists in the main um, who have discovered a lot of the malfeasance that went on under the Zuma administration. So I'm not really expecting any great uh, surprises to emerge from the Zondo Commission's reports. I think the first uh, first part has been published. There are another two to come. And some analysts that I've seen uh, do think that the Zondo Commission and the Zondo Commission reports uh, will play a very important role in the elective conference of the ANC towards year end because it will serve to divide the factions within the ANC between those who are engaged in malfeasance or were engaged and who fear the consequences of the revelations in the Zondo Commission's investigations versus those who are trying to uh, hold them to account. But I'm not quite sure that I agree with that assessment because uh, many of these revelations, as we uh, say or have said, have been in the public domain already. There has been ample opportunity to uh, prosecute, and that opportunity has not been made use of. 
And my expectation to a certain extent is that the, the Zonda Commission report will cause some waves at first, um, as it is doing at the moment, but that it will probably die down pretty quickly and that we are not likely to see any significant prosecutions or consequences arising from it. Mm, it's, it, it, I, I tend to agree with you there again. And you know, you've got to wonder, what was it all worth it? I mean, a billion rand, John, a billion rand. That is an incredible amount of money to spend on on a report that will hopefully see some uh, action against certain individuals. But I'm not holding my holding my thumbs. I don't think there's there's going to be uh, any arrests or, or or anything to to that sort. So we've got to ask: was was it worth spending spending a billion rand? And you know, <laughs> when you look at the coincidental fire in in Parliament. We got to wonder what was in that fire. What what were they trying to hide? <laughs> you know, these there are so many rumours going around in the public space right now. Uh, some related to to the Zonda Commission report, some related to others. But your thoughts on that? What what do you think was behind that? Is is the is this homeless guy responsible, or is there something un, untowards in it? And I won't hold you to to the answer. It's it's purely your thoughts there. Yeah, I think at the moment we're still really engaged in speculation um, mm. and don't don't have enough of the facts. Um, at the moment, I'm inclined to think that it was not part of a conspiracy, um, a Guy Fawkes-type plot to light Parliament afire and burn it down, but rather that it was indeed the, the action of, an, of a single person that led to this and that the larger part of the blame really should attach to the failings of the head of security um, of, of parliament. So allegedly the sprinkler valves had been turned off. Um, I'm not sure if security was strong enough to detect a person entering the building and setting a fire. Um, and that, that is a great failing. That really is something that, that uh, the investigators should look at very closely. I think that is actually far more important than the identity of the person who is alleged to have set the fire. Definitely. I mean, there seems to be a, a lack of motive from, from that person as well, whether it was an accident or, or not, we, we really won't know. The fact that they've charged him, uh, one of the charges is um, uh, the explosives under the Explosives Act, which suggests that he was in possession of, of an explosive device. That, that kind of raises the major concerns. Do you think that that is perhaps real or that is just something to get the media hype going and see the bail, bail set properly? I, I really don't know. Mm. Also don't know. I mean, I think, you know, until we have more information, can't really speculate, mm. uh, but I guess if, if the guy did have explosives, um, you might wonder whether he was asked or instructed or otherwise encouraged <laughs> to do what he did, um, and then, of course, that, that would open a whole new kettle of fish. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Sorry for putting you on the spot there. It's just we have to get this out. We have to start talking about it. But, yeah, um, also, you mentioned you mentioned um, the the ANC elective conference that that's that's coming up and the Zonda Commission reports and involvement in that. Uh, tell us a bit more about about the conference that that's coming up. What what can we expect from that? We've seen some media reports that speculate that um, the position of president of the ANC will be hotly contested, and that is of course the office currently held by uh, Mr. Ramaphosa himself, and that it may occur, it may happen that Mr. Ramaphosa will be voted out and would then uh, also not be able to contest the next elections as the as the, the, the preferred candidate of the ANC. 
because traditionally, of course, the president of the ANC is also then the, the prime candidate who then also becomes the president of the country when the ANC or if the ANC wins the elections. And there's now speculation that Mr. Ramaphosa might not retain his position and might be voted out. My sense is that the ANC is well aware of what a strong draw card he is for the party and how important he is to the party's electoral fortunes. The president is even more popular than his own party in, in the polls, significantly so. Um, he's by far the most popular politician in South Africa with the highest favorability ratings. And if it weren't for him leading the party, the ANC would have performed even worse in the uh, local government elections in 2021. And the same, I believe, would also apply in 2024. So the ANC would be well advised to hold on to Mr. Ramaphosa for as long as it can. And my sense is that his position is quite secure at this point. Uh, of course, there's still quite a long way to go to December, um, which is when I believe the conference will be held. Um, and there, a lot can happen between now and then. But at the moment, I think Mr. Ramaphosa's position is quite safe. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm not so sure I agree with you on, on that one. But um, let's let's see how Deputy Howard plays out. I think his his performance under the, this COVID uh, farce, should I say, is is going to be quite quite revealing, and it might damage him in in unexpected uh, unexpected ways, both within and and outside outside of his party. But uh, that being said, if he does get voted out at, at the elective conference, who who would Who'd be most likely to to replace him as as leader of the ANC? I believe there are about four or five candidates who are being named um, and discussed. Uh, one of them is Svelim Kize, uh, the former um, health minister, who left office under a cloud because he was alleged to have been involved in a corruption scandal. Um, the fact that his name is being discussed, I think, is symptomatic of the ANC. Um, there seems to be no criterion that would preclude a person from aspiring to hold the highest office in the party. And so it may very well be that uh, Mr. Mkhize will cast his hat in the ring. Then there's Lindy Wissusulu, um, of course, part of the ANC royalty, uh, who might also make a, a, a running for it. And, of course, there's also Esma Khashule, um, the former premier of the Free State, and I think suspended secretary general of the ANC, who has his own corruption um, scandal swirling around him and is, as a matter of fact, also currently engaged in a legal process to try to avoid the consequences of his alleged corruption. Uh, and the... Fourth candidate, I guess, would be Didi Mabuza, the former premier of Mpumalanga, um, who is, I think, a very interesting politician in South Africa because he flies under the radar, um, keeps quite a low profile, and there is speculation about whether he does so because he is a reserved person or whether he is biding his time and waiting for opportunity to pounce. So maybe the cat, maybe Didi Mabuza will be um, a strong candidate in the elective conference also given the challenges that his rival contenders face. But uh, I still think that none of these candidates is particularly convincing and probably also not strong enough to prevail against Mr. Ramaphosa. Uh, on that, I have to agree with you. The, that, that shortlist is, is 
uh, I don't know if it's more terrifying or horrific, but <laughs> it is it is a rather interesting interesting shortlist. But maybe that is a, a true reflection of of the state of of the ANC as it as it currently stands, which definitely, without a doubt, needs needs a a severe reform. But anyway, that is definitely going to be one of the events to look out for, uh, look out for in, in, in the new year. What other opportunities do you, do you see or, uh, what other opportunities is IR, um, looking forward to in, in 2022? Well, I think that, um, you know, we're, we're usually quite focused on risks in the political sphere and the economic sphere, the social sphere. And it is easy to identify those because there are so many of them. But it is a worthwhile exercise from time to time to think about what the opportunities might be, because, of course, the flip side of a risk is an opportunity. And uh, so what, what what sort of chances, opportunities are there, possibilities for people in South Africa? Um, and we come up with a, with a short list. One of them, of course, is the opportunity to fill the gaps left by the receding state. Uh, we know that in many areas, such as education, healthcare, security, uh, electricity provision, even water provision, the state really is underperforming to a very considerable extent, and that private companies have been filling the gap, uh, supplying those services where the state fails to do so, and I think doing very well out of it, and in many cases also performing very well, you know, really supplying these services at a high level. And I think that will continue to be a real opportunity within South Africa for um, companies or individuals looking for a market opportunity. And a further opportunity, I think, is in performing an intermediary role for state interactions. What I mean by that is uh, companies that queue for you, uh, that help you with your vehicle licensing, that assist you with visa applications, um, et cetera, et cetera, because uh, interactions with the state are really painful in many cases, um, as I'm sure many of the listeners have experienced. And then if you can find somebody who's able to to help you make the process go a bit more smoothly, that is something many people are willing to pay for. Uh, that is, on the one hand, very welcome because, of course, it is a reflection of an entrepreneurial mindset. And it also uh, helps the people who don't have the time to standard queues to save some time. But the flip side is that it creates an opportunity for corruption. And, of course, it also increases the costs of inter- interacting with the state. And increasingly what we're seeing happening is that the state is both receding and also turning into an expensive overhead of the cost of living in South Africa and the cost of doing business in South Africa. Increasingly, we see people paying double for the services that they uh, use, consume or procure. They have to pay once uh, to the state in the form of taxes or fees or licenses, etc. And then they have to pay a private service provider to actually do the work. And that is of course, a factor that makes the country less competitive. But if you can find a way of helping people um, make these interactions go more smoothly, that is a, a good business opportunity. Then there is uh, something that we both are involved in in a way, which is uh, finding applications that help ordinary citizens to build functioning local communities. Um, because as the, the state recedes, you know, it, it creates a power vacuum. Um, it creates a, a gap in service delivery. And it may be something that you've seen in your area. Certainly, I've seen it in mine, uh, which is that residents associations and street WhatsApp groups and neighborhood watches and so on are really community-based organizations where people 
get things done if the state doesn't do them anymore. And uh, there might may well be opportunities there for companies to organize uh, platforms or other ways of facilitating these uh, community organizations. So those would be just three, three opportunities that I see locally and uh, globally. I think there's, of course, an investment opportunity to keep investing in the bull market and riding the asset price bubble. But uh, the higher the asset prices get, and of course, they're already at a very high level, the more you begin to wonder how much scope there is for increases and, of course, also what the risk is of a collapse. And I think uh, um, I'm a bit nervous about global equity markets at the moment. They seem completely overvalued to me, and I do think that there is a correction coming. But I'm not sure when. Rob? Absolutely. No, there, there, there definitely will be a correction. And we've seen that already in uh, cryptocurrencies. They're bouncing up and down, up and down, and seems to be on a, a downward trend. But, you know, as, as the market says, what, what goes down always does come up again. So <laughs> the complete opposite to, to, to physics and human understanding. But, but yeah, that's, that's, they are, Certainly some great opportunities for those who, who recognize them in, in the new South Africa. And that's, that is one of the, the great advantages of a, a failing government is that it does push all, all services to, to private, private businesses. And that is, is a good thing. Become less independent on, become less dependent on, on government. We're going to take a quick break, but stay with us. We will be right back. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen. And welcome back to 101.9 High FM. I'm chatting today with John Andrews, CEO of the Institute for Race Relations. Welcome back, John. We were chatting about yeah, what's coming up in the new year and exciting things to look forward to. You know, it all looks all looks great. There's definitely going to be some opportunities for for private individuals, but that's all dependent on on ESCOM, isn't it? Yes. Um, so that really is uh, such a, a big <laughs> elephant in the room in South Africa, um, because industry obviously needs electricity in order to perform. So does the public sector, and of course, so do services as well. So um, you'll see, you know, consulting companies, finance companies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera of course, need electricity to run, to run their computers, to hold their online meetings for people to be able to work remotely, need electricity. And that is a constraint when the electricity supply isn't stable um, and is unreliable. So I think that the, I think the electricity will continue to be a constraint on growth for a while. And the terrible thing about that is that if the economy does try to take off um, and try to grow at a just moderately higher level than it is at the moment, then we'll get load shedding again, and that growth will be strangled once again. And we've seen that a, a few times, I think, in recent years. Um, whenever the, the economy started picking up, load shedding came back, and then that growth would stop. And that is uh, really a, uh, a fundamental physical constraint on the ability of the economy to grow. Uh, the capacity to generate electricity I think will not be expanded very quickly, at least not by ESCOM, which has a huge, huge debt burden already and is trying its best, I think, to keep its existing plant alive, uh, but, but battling with old equipment that has been poorly maintained uh, and, of course, also 
um, a very high burden of non-paying customers. And that really makes it difficult for ESCOM to increase its production capacity. What we are seeing is some increases in production capacity by private entities, um, both households and companies. And that, I'm sure, alleviates the pressure on the grid, but it probably is too little to make a significant difference. Uh, So I anticipate that we'll still continue to see some load shedding in 2022 and also in the years ahead. It's also quite Mm -hmm. salutary to think of... uh, the week before the local government elections last year, uh, when we did have load shedding. And uh, the the interesting implication that held for me was that if you're the ruling party, if there's one week of the year when there must not be any load shedding, it is the week before an election because you know it's going to hurt you. And I'm sure ESCOM was made aware of this, uh, and I'm sure that they you know, threw the office furniture into the furnaces in order to burn it for electricity to keep the lights on. But uh, despite all attempts, all measures, uh, they weren't able to keep the lights on. Load shedding happened, the lights went out, and I'm sure that hurt the ANC in the local government elections. Whether that can be rectified in time for the 2024 elections is doubtful, in my view. Uh, And maybe, Rob, from there I can switch to just talking about the politics a little bit. Um, Please do, yeah. So 2021, the analogy like to use to describe South African politics is that there is a mighty old buffalo that roams the savannah and dominates everything around it and has done so for the past 27 years. And as political commentators, we were always curious to see what would happen to that buffalo and whether a challenger would arise to take down the buffalo. You know, would a mighty lion leap up out of the grass and fight with the buffalo and be able to take it down and and then take over? The savannah. And it turns out that there is no such lion. Uh, everybody who's been waiting for it, I think, has been disappointed and will continue to be disappointed. But what the local government elections showed us is that there is, as a matter of fact, a pack of wild dogs, which are small predators, but formidable with a much higher kill rate than lions. And these wild dogs would have the possibility of taking down the buffalo. The wild dogs, as we call them, would be a range of smaller parties ranging all the way from the Democratic Alliance uh, to the Freedom Front Plus to Herman Mashaba's new party, Action SA, uh, maybe the IFP, and a variety of other parties that all serve different constituencies but are uh, united in their opposition to the ANC, firstly, and probably can also agree on some fundamental principles that they all hold in common, one of which would be the importance of property rights, Another would be the importance of the rule of law and accountability uh, for government officials. And maybe another one which would be non-racialism. And these things all place them in clear contradistinction to the ANC. And if these wild dog parties manage to catch the scent of the buffalo and see it lurking up ahead in 2024, and work together, they have a chance of bringing it down. And we think this is now a real prospect for 2024, uh, that we will actually see a political realignment. The ANC uh, has weakened in recent years. I think it will continue to weaken um, because uh, it is not taking any steps to rectify the problems that are making it weak, which include uh, the state of the economy, uh, the state of the public finances, the state of the ANC's own internal finances, 
Uh, and there's just uh, nothing on the horizon that uh, really spells hope for the ANC. But the dire situation of the ANC, I think, does offer an opportunity for the opposition parties to make a strong showing and maybe turn around the state of the country with some sweeping reforms, which are what we really need. Mm, it definitely seems to to be a common theme throughout several conversations that I've had with with people or different people across the board in the past couple of weeks that a coalition government is is without a doubt what's on the horizon for for 2024, and in in a way that is that is encouraging. However, it does bring um, its its own problems, especially where our political parties have become so accustomed to fighting amongst each other. But as you say, the the common enemy now, the buffalo, as you so brilliantly put it, is is definitely the ANC, and it is it is weakening. So it is time for the parties to all work together and and charge and take mm-hmm. take on that and take a few bites bites out out of it. We're going to take a quick break and stay with us because there's still a lot to go through here. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson. Because democracy doesn't just happen. Welcome back to 101.9 Chai FM. Chatting to John Andres from the Institute of Race Relations about what we can expect to see in 2022, especially around the 2024 elections, which are just around the corner, if you think about it. 20, 2021 disappeared. I didn't even realize it had happened. Just got woke up in, in 2020 and suddenly it was 2022. So we must actually start preparing ourselves for what is coming in 2024. John, who do you think will be the big players over the next um, few years leading up to, to the elections? Well, I think the, you know, the DA being the, the official opposition and being the largest opposition party is a natural candidate. Uh, I think it might not be accustomed to uh, working with other opposition parties. And I think that is going to be really the, the biggest difficulty, is, is convincing these opposition parties to work together. I think that there is uh, prospects for a very important role for Action SA as well, because they contested only some municipalities in the local government elections. They are still a very new party, but they managed to leverage the prominence of Herman Mashaba very well. And I also... Yeah, and I also think that they are tapping into an unexplored pool of voters in South Africa, which would be um, voters who are more to the conservative um, end of the spectrum. Our political spectrum is quite far left shifted. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think many voters don't really or haven't up to now seen anybody that they want to vote for, which is, of course, also reflected in our um, declining vote participation figures. So there are a lot of non-voters in South Africa, and those votes are up for grabs to any party that is able to craft a compelling message, and Action SA might be able to do that. So I think those would be two really important parties. Um, I think the IFP and uh, Freedom Front Plus also have an important role to play, um, both being uh, sort of either regionally or um, um, ethnically focused parties. But, you know, the... The political system we have, um, as it is a proportional representation system without a parliamentary threshold, I think does favor the uh, existence of a variety of parties that cater to a variety of constituencies. And it is quite appropriate that that should be so. Uh, I think that as we go forward, 
in South Africa's politics, we'll continue to see a splintering of the, the very large parties into smaller units that cater to specific groups. So the, the era of having a, a single, very dominant player might be coming to an end. Uh, and I think it is a, a reflection of our political system that we are more likely to see a fragmentation and a variety of smaller parties contesting, which of course means that in order to govern, they need to find a way to work together because none of them will be large enough by themselves. We've seen this in Johannesburg um, and Swane and Ekuruleni, where wild dog parties have somehow managed to forge coalitions uh, that enable them to take over the, um, the councils. And uh, this is an opportunity for them. You know, this is uh, where voters are watching and they are wondering whether the wild dog parties can keep it together and not only keep it together, but also offer a compelling alternative to ANC governance. And if they're able to do that, this could become a very effective beachhead strategy in the run up to 2024 to say, you know, give us uh, your vote. Um, look at what's happened in Johannesburg, Ekorolini and Swane. It's looking pretty good. Um, so, yeah. Give us, give us a chance, and let's see what we can do at the national level. Absolutely, and I think it's, it's very exciting times. And I'm, I'm, I, get, I get the sense that everybody is, is having the same thoughts there, that this is the test period at, at a local government uh, level for, for coalitions to prove themselves and then make the step into a, a coalition national national government which I, I tend to agree with you, is absolutely exciting and, and definitely the way to be. And maybe that's a shift in the public uh, public perception as well from you know, voting for for personalities and for your for for your favorite football soccer team to focusing on service delivery, good policy and you know, meaningful meaningful votes where people actually put some thought into it rather than Rather than, than emotion. But anyway, John, we've unfortunately run out of time. It's been a wonderful chat as, as always. And, uh, best of luck to, to you and your organization as you guide us through these, these uncertain times in 2022. Thank you very much, Rob. Really appreciate, uh, having been on your show and I look forward to the next time. Fantastic. Also looking forward to it.